This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center in our undisclosed location, the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in the Melvin Law Studio, Melvin Law, with 50 years of experience, is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melvin Law won't back down. And of course, crime prevention, and you have to worry less with crime prevention security cameras. They prevent package theft with their doorbell camera. So contact them at cpss.net. And of course, a shout out to Maurice T. McDaniel, a High Springs attorney, who is uh, from the Special Forces Airborne Group, and now an attorney and a farmer in the High Springs area who sponsors our mugshots, which have about 45,000 looks a month. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Shoot GTR, which is one of our sponsors. Style Cuts, of course. That's the place to go with uh, David uh, Ratliff there taking care of you, making you look good. You can see how great I look and uh, above and beyond. Uh, we're trying to connect with um, Kat Kamek here. We uh, understand that she's going to try to connect with us en route to something going on in the uh, some part of her district here. So we'll be speaking with you until we get that done. The um, interesting thing about this uh, issue with uh, convicted felons voting from the jail is that of course, there have been sex offenders voting as well. And sex offenders never have their rights restored and they never can therefore vote, but they do. And now uh, a part of the tip we gave uh, up to the Duval County area has now come out in uh, news for Jacks in the Jacksonville, Florida area. And I'll just go over this a little bit for with you. Uh, this is, you know, all, all in, the, in the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil world of uh, communication that we have uh, with the acceptable narrative. You know the story. But there's a convicted felon, and this course is a uh, sex offender, Charged with two counts of election, beep, voting, and false registration. Uh, we haven't even begun to uh, share with you all of the sex offenders who uh, have been guilty of, of voting, beep. All we've done so far is focus on the 10 here in the Elantra County Jail that are uh, examples of a recruitment that we think is very suspicious by the supervisor of elections here doesn't seem to hold much uh, water, if you will. And there's an article in the Gainesville Sunset today about it, which is a pretty, uh, has one important detail in it uh, that is kind of out now that uh, hasn't been out before, that we've had out, but the Gainesville Sunset hasn't had out. But um, Crump was convicted in, this guy who voted uh, was convicted in 1993 of manslaughter in Alachua County. And that's why the story is interesting to us is in Alachua County, uh, where he was originally convicted. He was added to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement Registered Sex Offenders Database. And uh, he was convicted in 2004 of lewd molestation in Alachua County. But he now lives in Jacksonville. And according to the arrest report, he applied for his voting rights a couple of years ago. This is our whole contention uh, with what goes on here uh, with voting. There's no accountability. These supervisor elections, as I said before, I don't know what ails them, but they just, uh, they're going through the motions. They really, the minutia and the detail of orchestrating a, an election, of course, is challenging. But um, here we are with uh, uh, a situation that seems to stop at the end of their driveway. They don't want to go out and check anything that's going on across the street, so to speak. So... Here he is. He was convicted in 2004 of lewd and lascivious molestation in Alachua County. He's living in Jacksonville. 
He applied for voting rights. And about a year after that, he applied for state assistance and received a voter registration in the mail. You know, in the mail, in the mail, in the mail. You know, one of the places we're finding that's very porous uh, is mail. Mail ballots, uh, all that business is largely unaccounted for, very difficult to trace. You don't know who actually is. Is she on with me now? It's very just difficult to trace who actually did the voting. So we'll table this conversation for a moment. Am I able to see her? No, we heard. Lord, I'm, hey, I'm in the car driving. I mean, I'm not okay. driving. Okay, great. I hear you now, and I see I have in my screen here Kat's iPhone. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, the life of you people lead you're traveling hither and yonder. I swear you have to have a lot of energy and be young. <laughs> uh, I tell you, it, it never ends. These are uh, on average 16 to 18 hour days, give or take. I don't know what you'd like to talk about today, but boy, we sure covered and hit the home run yesterday ahead of everybody on the on the leak and the who the leak is you know, on this whole attempt to undermine the authenticity of the Supreme Court. Um, you know, there's a whole battle heating up. It's been going on in our studies anyway. It seems to have started with Obama. And that's the false narrative that's perpetrated on the public through the media and even the agencies of the United States government, as we know. And it never stops. And this is another attempt. Um, it, it really, if it, it, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm sure your phone has been ringing off the hook a little bit about it. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's really all anyone is talking about, um, you know, on Monday night, uh, yesterday, today. Uh, I can't tell you how many interviews I've I've done talking about this issue, but I'm always careful and, and quick to remind folks that this is a hugely important issue. It's a huge a huge win in the pro-life movement now that the authenticity has been verified, but it's also extraordinarily detrimental to the sanctity of the court, the relationships of, of the justices, and the precedent. You've got 235 years of precedent um, that is, is being eroded because of a political agenda, because somebody with a, a, a dependency and control agenda felt that they knew better than anyone else. And I, I think they thought they were acting in some savior capacity but realistically, they're going to be facing criminal charges. There will be an investigation. They will be held accountable. And if they think that a book deal is going to save them, they're wrong. And so I'm, I'm really disappointed in how it came about, thrilled about the outcome, which we still have yet to make it official. But let us not forget that in the midst of this conversation, we have very real threats also that include an invasion at our Southwest border. And, and I know that that's a hard jump from one to the other, but when you're finding bricks of fentanyl in Ocala and our surrounding communities here in Gainesville, the drugs that are pouring in, people are quite literally dying every day. We have a real serious threat that is at our doorstep and we need to make sure that we don't lose focus because I think at the end of the day, that's what the liberals want. They want us to deflect from all the terrible things that are happening, inflation, gas prices, the invasion at the southwest border, the mandates, the, the total and utter failures of the Biden administration, Russia, China, you name it. And I just don't want us collectively to take our eye off the ball and take the bait. You know, it's very, very well stated, and I don't see it as much of a leap at all, because what I see that uh, these two issues we just are discussing, immigration and the, uh, the leak into court, are um, the, really the fingerprint of the left in that the rules don't matter. The, yeah. What matters is increasing the voter base. And this whole thing in the court is an appeal to the voter base through hysteria in the street. Same mm -hmm. as with immigration influx. Same thing. It's all about power. It's not about protecting this or the country or the integrity of being constitutional originalist, any of that business, it's all about power. I'm wondering, I want to run something by, if you don't mind, uh, Congresswoman. I'm always going to refer to you as Congresswoman, <laughs> <laughs> the right honorable. I, 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 really, I, I really can't reveal to you whom this person is that uh, shared this with me, but I used to work with this man very, very closely. He's one of our real significant Democrat statesman of the old Democrat Party and, and protect his identity and that 
I'll share with you what he, the message it got to me. He can't stand Biden. And he can't stand what's happened to the Democrat Party. Now, do you hear that at all in the halls of Congress where you are? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, uh, I was in an elevator with one of my Democrat colleagues. Um, she, I guess you could say, associates more closely with the moderate wing of the Democrat Party. And she just had this terrible defeated look on her face and just looked sad. So, you know, I, I, I started talking to her and I said, you okay? And she looked at me and said, Kat, I have never been more bullied, harassed, hazed, intimidated, just beat down by anybody more than I have my own party, my own leadership. And she was so dejected. And she's not the only Democrat that I have heard that from, but I also hear from some of the Democrat colleagues that I've got in Washington who, you know, they go to the White House quite often and they're doing meetings and, you know, bill signings and all that. And they'll come back and they'll be like, oof, you know, he's just not all there. You know, they have, they've shared concerns about his mental fitness. Um, they've shared concerns about the vice president. They have shared concerns about the entire administration and how frustrating it is. And you look no further than what they're trying to do with Title 42 and stripping that on May 23rd. That, just step away from, from the administration for a second. Taking Title 42 off the books, one, it proves the hypocrisy of federal government because Nancy Pelosi will allow proxy voting, which is wholly unconstitutional but she's justifying it as there's an ongoing public health crisis, right? That's why members of Congress can't be in person to vote, right? I've never proxy voted, but there are members of Congress who haven't even shown up to work, not even once. And they have their friends casting their ballots for them while they sit on a beach somewhere and collect a paycheck. So apparently there's an ongoing public health crisis in Washington, DC, specifically the United States Capitol, but certainly not at the, at the Southwest border. And that's why they're getting rid of Title 42. And so you look at operational control of the border gets lost at 5,000 a day, crossing a day. This is going to be 18,000 a day. I talked to four Border Patrol agents just yesterday. They already have people waiting on the bridge. Thousands and thousands of people waiting at the bridges of legal ports of entry, as well as all of the traditional crossings. And one of the Border Patrol agents said, hey, you need to get down here. We're finding a route where a lot of, they call it the stands, are crossing and Chinese nationals are crossing. So Turkmenistan, uh, Kajikistan, you know, all the, all the stands are finding this route. There's a, a cartel that's working this specific group of uh, foreign nationals across in this area. So you step back for a minute and you think, how do you defend 18,000 illegals invading the United States? Well, you can't. That's why you've got 31 Democrats in the House and over 10 Democrats in the Senate saying, we can't defend this back home. We've done a lot to try to defend the gas prices and the food prices and inflation and Medicare and, and Medicaid getting cut. We've, they're trying to, they've been defending all of Biden's problems and issues. They can't defend this. So more than ever, I'm hearing from my colleagues on the left that not only is there just a lack of fitness for duty, they're, they're perpetuating policies that are just not defensible, even for a liberal Democrat, and they are pushing back now. So it's start that house of cards is starting to tumble. Well, you know, I certainly hope it's so. I'm the kind of person, though, that doesn't trust the, uh, the projections of what the election will be like in the fall, which, as you may know, of course, I'm sure you do, that projected to be the Republican uh, takeover. I, I, I fear the technique of this left. Uh, they'll have many things on their side. They'll have the propaganda of the press. They'll have the ineptness of the government that uh, is, 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 as you start at the top, as you, as you uh, alluded to, and, and the gullibility of the American public. That, that is why I keep coming back to the show and why I'm so pleased as you check in with us once in a while, because somewhere, somehow, we've got to penetrate the, the, the information, misinformation gap that's out there. I think this purchase of Twitter, by the way, uh, by Musk has scared them. Um, they're so afraid that that's somehow going to be 
uh, antithetical, what they've been able to control. Is that also something that's, you know, I've been in those halls. I've been in an office where you are. I know how old that building is. I'm so impressed by how old that building is. And those elevators don't hold everybody. That's the other thing I remember about the place. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it is quite telling that right about the time that Elon purchases Twitter, that the Ministry of Truth, right, the new truth czar emerges, who she herself has a lengthy and colorful history of making extraordinarily inappropriate comments, you know, what I would deem inappropriate. Um, she has a real, um, a, a real chip on her shoulder when it comes to conservatives. She doesn't believe in the Constitution. She doesn't believe in free speech. Uh, she thinks that her opinion is actually a fact. <laughs> and that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty ballsy, honestly, for uh, Biden to appoint a woman who has who harbors these types of opinions. But what's even worse is she has to express them to the tune of off Broadway musicals. I mean, the videos of her singing about voter fraud and covid and I mean, it's clear that she wanted to be a Broadway singer more than anything in the world and <laughs> politics was her backup choice. She doesn't do a good job at either. So can we please stop with the musicals? I mean, I'm having <laughs> nightmares. And uh, so that's the first part. I mean, we've already dropped legislation to defund that department under Homeland Security. And I will be having a personal meeting with uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Um, that's been in the, the works for a while. And, and part of what we'll be talking about is how that will function. And if there's going to be a DOJ uh, cooperative um, element to that, because if you think about the Ministry of Truth, are they simply a propaganda arm or are they actually going to be going after people whose opinions they deem to be, quote unquote, disinformation? And that's a very dangerous thing. I mean, this is where we're getting into Stalin territory. You know, the, the infamous dictators of, of history had ministries of truth. And now Biden has one that should be cause for concern. But then you think about Maybe in a in a bad zone here. She's traveling by automobile. I think. Saying, we need to stay with us. I think you're in a bad zone a zone right now, uh, Congresswoman. So stay on their lines. Lady, you'll come oh, through. Sorry. Hopefully. Hey, listen, North Central Florida. That's why we're working on broadband. <laughs> <laughs> now you're back now. You must have hit something there. That, oh, well, you're doing, I, I think we heard you last comment, of course, of, on her singing ability, <laughs> the misplacement of that emphasis in her. Let, let me ask you, you said something that's very interesting. And this is the last thing I think I heard you say. Um, you can possibly defund this ministry of truth and get it kneecapped that way. Can you run that back, please? Yeah. So, we have already introduced legislation, um, a collective group of, of conservatives. We've introduced legislation defunding that specific department, and it is appropriation season. So while it may have been authorized, we have a shot of actually defunding it this year while we are in the minority. And uh, when I meet with Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the Secretary of Homeland Security, in the next few weeks, I'm going to be asking him, is there going to be a DOJ cooperative agreement? Will they be referring out of this quote unquote ministry of truth um, people in cases that they deem to have pushed information, disinformation out? And I'm using air quotes because, you know, they're certainly not the arbiter of truth. But um, if this is simply a propaganda arm of the federal government to try to push out what they deem to be facts, that is horrifically terrible. Um, but if they want to combine the DOJ's power with that and try to go after people, that is something that we are going to 100% be blowing the roof off of because that's where this gets really dangerous. This is where, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing traces of the Stalin um, playbook playing out here and so that's why we're following it we we will defund it if not this year next year and i, I mean biden 
Biden has just lost his mind, clearly. Well, you have to have something to lose. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, if, if I, if sometime when we're in private talk conversation, I'll reveal to you who the gentleman was that passed his uh, opinion along to me. And I think you'll be quite, uh, quite uh, interested in that. So, yeah. Uh, you know, the thing that we've got also going on, we've been studying this pretty carefully here. You know, my whole background is that of a professor and that of research uh, uh, courses and things of that nature. We can't find any constitutional authority uh, for the, uh, the body that you're a member of to make a criminal um, criminality the behavior of the citizens in the, July, in the January 6th situation, which is called by the left an insurrection. Uh, we can't find any constitutional authority for them to criminalize that unless they send it somehow, some way to this DOJ. Are we on the right track there? Have you heard this? What, where are we on that? No, you're you're 100 percent right. You know, if we go back to really what the constitutional authority is for Congress, uh, oversight is a major component. We can, quote unquote, investigate. There is limited subpoena power. Um, but this notion that the January 6th committee is somewhat somehow going to um, uh, be arresting people and doing that, no, that's, that is a falsehood. And we already knew back at the formation of this that this was nothing more than a political witch hunt. We knew that Nancy Pelosi was never going to allow the truth of that day to come out because she wouldn't allow for Jim Jordan, Jim Banks, uh, Rodney Davis and others to participate as the minority um, representatives on that committee. So that was your first sign. The second thing was she has not given up her own records from the days leading up, including text messages, emails, phone calls, et cetera. If she has nothing to hide, why won't she provide that to the committee? It's been a one-sided political witch hunt. That's all it is. And so the constitutional authority of this select committee it's limited at best. So just be, be watching for when Republicans take the House back because that entire sham, it's going away. Well, we are certainly uh, can't get that, that day fast enough. So the other thing that seems to be happening that the Democrats may be awakening to, and this is, I think, why they've come out with this leak on the abortion, is they want to shift the blame or the, the attention from their failures at 42 and and uh, all the other things that are controversial, gas and food and all that, over to the abortion issue. And I think we read yesterday on the air uh, Judge Alito's logic, and I've said this all along, I can't find anywhere in the Constitution, nor apparently can the Supreme Court justice, where abortion is a right, okay? I, yeah, I can't find it, huh? It's not. <laughs> I, you know, it, it is really interesting how that has crept into the situation. And the bold thing about this opinion, and there's some question now whether somebody will uh, roll over and change, and they look carefully at Roberts because they blame Roberts for the Obamacare thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's possible. But, but the, the, the real issue here is, hey, do we have to stick on making decisions that affect the future on bad decisions from the past? That is really almost sacrilegious in legal world. You know, they, they take it for granted. The first thing they want to do is rush out and find a precedent. And then that decides the future. This is what is so interesting to me about this is that, wait, well, we're not going to do that. All the things in the past were bad precedents. <laughs> hey, well, and that's that's the thing. I mean, this is this is so much. <sighs> this entire issue of Roe v. Wade and Dobbs v. Jackson. When you look at it, one, the science is, has, has proven that this is not really a one, one heartbeat, right? This is, you are talking about two individuals, one pre-born, two unique sets of, of DNA, two sets, you know, two heartbeats, and the constitutional rights that are enjoyed by every American citizen is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, Preborn life is constitutionally protected in my mind. And that is how I interpret that. Because science 
And, and you know how the left is. They claim that they're the party of science, yet when science smacks them in the face, all of a sudden, then it's, you know, my body, my choice, unless it's a vaccine. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. I like it. And I, I agree with you, by the way. I've always felt that the unborn has constitutional rights as well. And who's looking after those? And, and besides, exactly. all, this, all this would do is leave it back uh, to the states. And, the state well, and that's, that's exactly what this is. So the Dobbs v. Jackson case was brought about to just reaffirm the state's rights to make decisions on behalf of their constituents. And this is so much of a federalist argument. And, and it's, it's where it should have been all along, be it Mississippi, be it Texas, be it Florida. You know, we've heard recently that California is going to try to put um, a right to an abortion up until the day uh, before delivery on the table and codify that that is a fight that Californians will need to take on. And I think at the federal level, when we start returning so much of these decisions back to the States, that's when we're getting back to what the founding fathers envisioned. But the issue of life that is, that I believe is ingrained in our constitution. The science has proven that yes, there is a viability, um, argument to be made. And I think that the left has tried to hinge on that and science has proven them wrong. And I'm from the federal government side of it, the hypocrisy. And I, I said this earlier this morning on an interview, I said, listen, regardless if you are a Republican, a Democrat, independent, hard right, hard left, Americans collectively hate hypocrisy, hate the double standard of big government. Why is it that we classify bacteria on Mars as life, but then they won't classify a heartbeat and DNA. A you baby know, that's a good in one. the womb is life. You, that's Give a great a one. Yeah, that's a great one. You really got me. <laughs> it, it, it blows my mind. <laughs> it just blew mine. I think that's one of the best. Oh, golly, Moses. I mean, crying out loud. You know, <laughs> it's you crazy. Know, I, I mean, and, and, the, and the, the DOJ, for example, I mean, you know how the left loves the DOJ right now. <laughs> they, they, they're all about them. Well, okay. How come the DOJ classifies a pregnant woman who is murdered as a double homicide? Yes, yes, yes. Good point. Great points. Well, you've obviously done a lot of thinking about this and been and you've been asked a lot of questions about it. And you're coming at it from the point of view that a sensible person, I think, would have to come to it if you come from the Constitution. And uh, that's where the left doesn't ever start. They don't start there. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. The battle is so much absolutely with the left. But I represent a generation that is really the target audience for the leftist agenda, you know, dependency and control. They want to say that abortion is women empowerment. No, it's not. Killing little girls in the womb, that's not pro-woman. And the left can't even define what a woman is anymore. So they, they've got a lot of stuff they've got to work out on their side. But being the youngest Republican woman in Congress today, being the millennial in Congress, I have to, I believe, be the voice on the other side of this because the largest voting block in America, that is the millennials, the Gen Zs, and the, the, the target generation that is most impacted by this very issue. So we're very loud and vocal on it because this is, this is my peers, you know, and, and I think that voice is really important to be in the mix. That's another great point. I'm, we're about, you know, through with our time with you, but if you got a second, how's agriculture doing? I, I, you know, you and I are know the cattle world, and uh, you yeah. have a lot. Yeah, tell me about that. So, uh, you know, we're really we're going to be facing some really tough times. And sitting on the House Agriculture Committee, we have been um, talking with our producers, talking with folks in industry. You've got major, major influxes in inputs. You know, fertilizer is going to be approaching seven hundred percent. You've got Ukraine, which isn't harvesting and they aren't planting, which the last time that happened, there was the Arab Spring in the Middle East, which, you know, of course, then you have the Muslim Brotherhood come to power because they get most of their wheat from uh, the breadbasket, which is Ukraine. So get ready for some price shocks, get ready for some real volatility in the markets. 
And my job is to try to pull back the regulatory burdens on our producers and put an emphasis on domestic production of agriculture. That's really where we need to go with this because no one in the world can compete with our farmers and ranchers, produce a better product more safely, efficiently. And I, I just, I think we need to put a re-emphasis on the fact that food security is national security. Well, we're really seeing a squeeze, as you know, on fertilizer, diesel prices. Yes. And, and um, you know, it's, it's tough. And, and in factor in on that is a kind of unfortunate thing where the Yankees are pouring out of the uh, northern blue states and coming here. And um, we're trading our agricultural land into uh, commercial residential to accommodate their arrival. I don't know. Yeah, you know, that, that's it. That's exactly it. You know, a good friend, a good friend of mine, uh, she is the first to say that the last crop will be a foundation slab. And, you know, you don't want your last crop to be a home. And that's where we're quickly heading. So you're 100% right, Ward. We've got to be mindful that development needs to be smart. Um, because if we can't, if we can't produce enough food to, you know, serve our communities and our state and our country, then we're really doing a disservice and, and weakening national security. Well, to conclude here, Billy Matthews, who was once a congressperson, congressman here from our area, came out to Santa Fe and talked with us for a while. I knew him very, very well. He said something that I've never forgotten. We were talking and he said, Ward, and he was a farmer uh, from the Newberry area. He said, Ward, if and when the price of food skyrockets, you will see a revolution. And I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that, Kat. I mean, it's it stuck in my head. And, and, you know, that's when people get really scared. You know, they'll they'll, mm. they'll they'll cinch up their belt maybe on the gas and won't go to the restaurant and eat the food there. But when you can't find food on the shelves and we plowed over our farmland and ironically, we're the richest farmland in the world. You know, uh, you got some problems festering. I hope we can get that taken care of. How are you doing for time? We'll let you go. I know you got a busy schedule and I appreciate you taking time out to be with us. Hey, thanks so much, Ward, for covering all this. It's so important. Important. Appreciate what you guys do and have a great week. Thank you very much. Been talking with Congresswoman Kat Kamek, who is en route to yet another meeting in the long days of uh, uh, being involved in our political system. Already I've been talking publicly about issues like this, uh, obviously from her uh, discussion before this, this discussion. So it takes a lot of energy to do this. And, uh, and, and we try to help keep you informed as well. It takes a lot of energy to to run the show as well and to keep you informed. We're going to take a break here on the Award Scott Files to thank our people who sponsor us and donate to us. So I'll be right back in just a moment on the Award Scott Files. Stay tuned. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! 
Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. Uh, Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Belden Law Studio. Uh, in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. So thank you for uh, participating with us in the, I was watching the Facebook chat come in and our conversation with Congresswoman Kat Kamek. We, uh, I'll conclude the story. I was just um, uh, talking with you about while we were waiting to, to connect with the Congresswoman who was en route to another meeting, uh, but took us uh, in by phone in the car. Um, this fellow, Mark Crump, 54, who was arrested uh, at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, but who committed his criminal acts here in Alachua County, is uh, one, yet one more uh, person we have found. Um, and of course, we fed this over to another county, another place where this fellow lived, who voted and really shouldn't have been voting. And our perplexing curiosity is why are we the ones who catch it? We don't have a budget. We appreciate those of you who donate to us because it helps us pursue these type of things. But, you know, we don't have a budget. We're not, you know, Fox News. We're not <clears throat> the Supervisor of Elections Office, which has a huge budget. Um, uh, we just, we, you know, we, and we're, I'm blessed to have this association with a data investigator who really is excellent and who is committed to uh, seeing where all this um, really ends up. We don't have any idea. We just know it's thousands of people across the state who have voted who shouldn't have. And we have been really pushing hard to make people at least listen. And we get them to listen because the data investigator has the documents, has the evidence. We just don't talk off the top of our heads. It's not our opinion. We don't have an opinion and go looking for support. We find the documents and then reach a conclusion and then have an opinion. And we constantly reevaluate re that opinion. We constantly look at it uh, and make sure that we're not whistling Dixie, as they say, or uh, fooling ourselves or coming to a conclusion we want to hear that's not actually going to be able to stand up under scrutiny. So we are, are constantly examining just the narrative locally as well as statewide and as well as nationally. Now, uh, statewide, you know that DeSantis the, the, uh, is on record as saying, and I um, that, listen, you know, I think it's wrong what these uh, supervisor elections have done but it's not my business to do anything about it. I'm going to have this committee, though, that he's formed, and that committee may find it uh, under their uh, uh, purview to look into some of these supervisors so uh, and some of these behaviors that defy logic. I mean, why would why would T.J. Pichet be off the hook for going into the jail and signing up guys who are not just one-time felons, but 19, 15, 20-time felons? Particularly, you see, when we have the email that predated his going to the jail, we have the email, internal email from Barton to her staff, which included PJ, saying, don't do it. And he did it anyway. I mean, I don't know how Derry the Mole, the Mole Lloyd, and how Brian, not yet dry behind the ears, Kramer, can ignore that. How do you ignore that when you have it? In, we have it's evidence. I mean, come on, we've got it. <clears throat> Something doesn't add up, so we'll keep pushing until we can see where this all goes. Now you got to watch all levels of this stuff. Here's a, 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 a midnight auto yard. If I say is where I keep a lot of the stuff. I eventually will talk about. I've been, you know, I've, people, one of the questions I've been asked for repeatedly is, does he, is Hillary ever going to get caught? Well, Hillary's been caught. But it's just not going to bring her to justice. I mean, you know, I always remember, and I've said it on the show several times, what my grandmother used to teach me when I would say, why does this man get off and this man go to jail for exactly the same crime? Well, she said, always, it's an old country saying, it depends on who's bore at the cabbage. So if it's a man of influence who owns the boar and he eats the guy's, break, gets into the guy's uh, garden and eats that person's cabbage, uh, the guy with influence not going to be taken to the jug. But if it's a poor man who owns the boar, gets into the uh, garden, eats cabbage, then that poor man's going to the jug. So, you know, whose boar at the cabbage fits with this thing with Hillary Clinton. I mean, come on. This, it, 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 it's, 
it's clear that her effort uh, was not trivial, and we know how she did it. I'm going to just go through this with you a little bit to refresh you. Uh, it involved a bank called Alpha Bank. It involved the Steele dossier allegations, and all. And, and, and John Durham is the one finding, you know, tipping these rocks over again. And we know that Clinton's effort was not trivial. It extended through this important law firm that was used by her campaign and the Democrat Party. It went from there to a high-priced Washington opposition research firm. Boy, now that's that's it, opposition research. In other words, you go dig up dirt on your opposition, and then you figure out a way to use it to besmirch that person in, in, the, in the eyes of the public. It also goes to this uh, uh, a firm in London that's run by this former British spy. Uh, to, it also goes out to the Brookings Institute. Uh, it goes out to... Uh, tech entrepreneurs and to internet researchers working on government contracts. I mean, this thing has got a spider web that you would not believe. I mean, and it was an incredible extracurricular effort by Clinton herself. She is the one who orchestrated all of this. Trust us, it was not some accident. Uh, it, it took us a while to sort of unravel this. So you people who've been asking me for years do I think she's been going to be brought to? I don't. I still don't think she will. Um, but boy, they're sure diligently working on trying to criminalize Trump. But they don't want to criminalize Clinton when all the evidence shows you. I mean, it's just it's just there. Uh, for example, on July 28, 2016, uh, we and then we only learn this years later. Now, this is 2022. And I believe all this stuff started with Obama. I can't you know, this nasty misinformation deal started with him. He, you know, uh, anyway, that, and John Brennan, whom I can't stand, that guy, he uh, rushed over to the White House and briefed uh, that Russian intelligence itself had gotten wind that Mrs. Clinton was cooking up the Russian collusion hoax to distract from her email controversy. She had an email controversy, if you remember, when she was Secretary of State, that she didn't want that to pop up. But that came out because of Anthony Weiner. What a name, Anthony Weiner. I think if I'd have been named Weiner, I'd have changed the name. And here he is sexting underage people on a computer. And his wife is Hillary Clinton's chief of staff or right-hand woman or whatever you want to call it, who knew all about this stuff. And so in looking at Anthony Weiner's uh, e uh, uh, computer, we learn of all these strange things that uh, Clinton is doing. And uh, that forces, if you recall this, that forces Comey's hand. And he has to somehow come out of his hole and ends up really kind of reluctantly revealing all this hoax and undermining at the last minute Hillary the liar. And she, of course, never forgiven him for that, for not participating in her, in her, in her behavior, in her cover-up. So... Um, then after the election, she continues to, to, to perpetuate and initiate uh, um, and help define the, the, uh, the, the deep state notion of, of, of cover up that there was any kind of election beep on the part of Biden. So uh, what is coming out, according to the uh, research, is that um, the crime in all this is lying to federal law enforcement agents to advance the political smears against a political opponent, except that strict rock and stroke were all in on it themselves. So I don't know if you can lie to a federal law enforcement agent if the guy is willing to believe what you tell him. Because he himself is a hater of Trump. You know, that all spills out accidentally. So uh, the FBI then gets revealed uh, that, that they were used either unknowingly or knowingly to peddle along with the press of the whole hoax myth that has been running rampant through the society ever since. It's still there. It's, a, it's behind the uh, so-called January 6th insurrection deal, uh, you know. Oh, my golly, you know, Pelosi and her crowd, they couldn't have been doing anything wrong. 
Uh, they couldn't have been. People get fed up with that. They get frustrated. They don't know what to do. So they're going to have a, uh, this guy, Michael Sussman, who is a Democratic lawyer. He's going to be charged with lying to the FBI to instigate an investigation into faulty or fanciful uh, computer links between Russia's Alpha Bank, the Trump campaign, and the Kremlin. And the problem here is, uh, as I say, you lie to an institution, the FBI, that's willing to believe the lie and also is infiltrated with moles. And moles are guys who actually, moles are guys who actually sympathize with the people the FBI is trying to catch. And they work within the police bureaucracy. The moles are guys who work within the police law enforcement bureaucracy who leak information to the very people that the people for whom they work are trying to catch. That's the definition of this mole. When you hear me hear this term. So, so, and it's all over the place. Now we've got it in the Supreme Court. Somebody in there, and you would think that the Supreme Court, if you worked there, you hung around there, whatever, you would have the strictest, absolutely most critical background checks you can imagine. I talked to a fellow the other day who used to cut the hair of the governor, previous governor. I'll keep that governor. When that governor would come to this man's uh, shop before the governor arrived, the Secret Service, the Florida version of them, regard to governor, would sweep that shop. I mean, my God, they would know everything about everybody in there before they'd allow the governor to come in and sit down and get his haircut. And that's just to get a haircut. So you're telling me that you haven't swept the halls of the Supreme Court? Us, those of us out here on the pavement, as uh, Richard Corey, the great poem Richard Corey, has that line of it in there to describe the common people, those of us on the pavement, uh, we have a lot of trouble not doubting every single, the integrity of every single institution we've got running the country. And so the FBI was obviously used to peddle the same claims to the press and the electorate that the press and the electorate was gullible enough. To, and why, I mean, I guess why wouldn't they believe it? I mean, they're getting it from, well, the press is no longer credible. We know that. You can't trust anything they do. And, and, and boy, you know, Politico put out an internal memo to, because the reporter that broke that story that got that information leaked to has been put under security cautions because these pro-abortion people are rabid and irrational, and there's no telling what they'll do. So that's the whole point. That's the whole point. If the calm, deliberate maneuvers of law fail, then create chaos. It's a tactic that left uses all over the place. So, uh, you know, that, 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 that should hearken you back to something. Will Hillary Clinton ever be brought? I don't, I, you know, all the lies that she told, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I doubt it. I seriously, seriously, seriously doubt it. Uh, the Supreme Court leak, you know, I uh, talked about it yesterday. I did do a little research on my uh, Latin, you know, I didn't, I had a crossroads in ninth grade, whether to take uh, um, uh, Latin from Mrs. Bender and, or take French, and I took French. And, and I now I really wish I'd gone back and taken the Latin, but uh, this stereodesis is a term that means uh, previous uh, decides that which follows. And, and that's what the uh, Alito uh, uh, rule that's been leaked says they don't want to do. They don't want to base the future on bad uh, decisions made in the past. So that's called stereodesis in the legal world. There's also one which is called uh, qui bono, which means for whose benefit, uh, which uh, has been shown uh, in a column I want to go through with you now. Who benefited from the leak? Well, of course, the left benefits from it, because here's why the left benefits from the leak. 
Here's what it's caused to become conversation again. Um, Obviously, the leaker opposes what appears to be the majority view, which is going to appear to be uh, kick it back to the states for their abortion behaviors in the respective states. Because nowhere is it in the federal constitution that a citizen has a right to an abortion. On the contrary, in the federal constitution, the unborn has a right to life. So how did this ever get established as a precedent has now been looked at very severely by Trump's appointees. And Trump said he was going to appoint people to the Supreme Court who would do just exactly that. Go back and look at the Constitution and measure the issue against the language of the Constitution. And don't read into it something that's not there. And don't try to tell us that you the, the pit of the empty flower pot is something other than the pit of the empty flower pot. So uh, there's, uh, there's going to be now this classic pressure. Uh, are we going to change? You, you know what it is. Are we going to pack the court as one of them? And so there's about three things that you need to look at. I'm going to give you a little, a little thing. It's going to bring back or it's going to bring back the subject, according to this analysis by the journal, uh, it's going to bring back the subject of the Senate filibuster um, that's that, that's all that the, the left is just absolutely when it's for them, they for it. When it's against it, they're against what doesn't work for them or against it. It's going to bring back the discussion I just mentioned of packed Supreme Court. And it's going to open up a discussion for impeach the justices. Now, I don't know what you think of John Roberts. I think he's the weak link. I don't like the guy's body language. I don't I don't like his facial contortions. I don't like his over intellectualizing of things that don't need to be over intellectualized. Uh, I just hold that guy in high suspicion. This is the if there is a if there is a shift in this vote, I'm going to predict and I can be wrong. I'm going to predict. Uh, imagine me say I could be wrong. Me? Um, I'm going to predict that the switch will come with robbers. I don't think he's got it. He's not a he's not a he's not a Clarence Thomas by any shape of the imagination. This guy is weak and he might flip. And believe me, the people who leak this have already done their research on who they think they could influence. You know, they you know, it's like anything else. You know, I get called a racist by these racists, these black racists. So they call my sponsors. And the weak ones, they flip. The strong ones you see on this show are tough. You patronize them. They are really in the right camp. The ones that you saw vanish, stay away from them. Okay? So, because, I mean, come on. When you go to the, when you go into this battle we're in, you don't want to look over your shoulder and see nobody there. So, um, the, the bottom line is, and, 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 and constitutional lawyers have known this all along, that there is nothing in the Constitution uh, that gives authority to Roe versus Wade. So they're going to have, now Plantation Mark says it's been 300 times when uh, precedent has been overturned by the Supreme Court. I don't know where he got it. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But those 300 times must be pretty pretty minor compared to this one. This is a big one. I, I doubt those previous 300 times that Plantation Mark just mentioned on the face chat here uh, brought people out to the streets. Uh, this one is, this is a significant, significant uh, uh, move by, uh, by Alito. And he's right. So it, it won't be the end of abortion in the United States of America. It's just going to return the issue to the states. Texas has already got a very a strict, a strict one. Um, you know, it's um, you know, but but it was the, the whole issue was liberalized, if you remember, in 1973, and it uh, was liberalized due to um, just reading into the Constitution something that wasn't there and caving to public pressure. So we'll see. It's not just a test for abortion. It's a test for the Constitution and the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, here is a character 
that uh, I want to conclude with, you know, depositions tell a lot. And in depositions, you can tell right away when somebody's being evasive, if you're experienced at using the language as I am as a professor of rhetorical strategies and um, fiction narrative and um, poetic forms and you name it, I can, I can the sentence structure. Uh, I don't know of anybody who knows as much as I do. And I'm going to say this without any humility about writing as I do. I, I, I just don't know anybody. I wish I did because I could sit on the back porch and talk to them. I, I really don't know anybody. I, if I do talk to them, I ended up teaching them. But I don't know anybody, you know, that I can sit and have a very high level conversation with. They just don't exist. And uh, we have something now that's going on that maybe you don't know about, but um, the Senate Judiciary Committee, this President Biden has uh, nominated this Nusrat Cloud Hurry to serve as a judge on the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York. Um, I probably mispronounced her name, but she is a product of Columbia University, Princeton University, Yale Law School, just bastions of liberal thinking. And she's an, also an activist who has spent most of her career working on racial justice for the American Civil Liberties Union. Now, Republican Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana asked her some questions. I'm going to read through these and uh, you can hear the evasiveness. Um, this is in the this is in um, in uh, Jason Riley's article. He's a great thinker, great thinker and a brave man. He writes about things that other people are afraid to talk about. And uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy asked this lady, uh, you said that the killing of unarmed black men by police happens every day in America. Did you say that? Well, the lady answers, Senator, I don't recall the statement. There you go. There you go. That's all you need to hear. I don't recall the statement. Nobody can challenge whether or not that's true. I don't recall the statement, but it's something I may have said in that context. So anyway, the first part of the answer is a lie. She does recall, but she's going to claim she doesn't recall. But in case, you know, I did, well, I, never, I must have said it just in that context. Now, what in the heck is that context? So then Mr. Kennedy says, you think it happens every day? And she says, Senator, I believe in that statement. I was making a comment in my role as an advocate, and I was engaging in rhetorical advocacy as advocates do. Now, what the hell does that mean? And the other, the other way you know in a deposition when the person is being less than honest is when the explanations get long, Okay. The longer the answer, the more the lies. So I submit to you, we've seen about three lies here. First, I don't recall. That's a big one. Classical. Everybody uses it. But I may have in that context, which means that context is an anomaly. It's not what I said really doesn't apply anywhere else. And you don't have all the context. There's a lie. And it's something, something you can't gather, possibly. And then this long, long answer, okay? Um, this continues. Um, so the, so the, the senator is trying to get an honest answer. And so he says, do you, but, do, but do you believe that police officers kill unarmed black men every day in America? Ms. Cowdhury answers, Senator, I believe the killing of unarmed citizens by law enforcement is tragic. That's not the question. That's another way in a deposition you can tell when somebody's lying. They don't answer the question. So the next thing Mr. Kennedy says, I believe it's tragic too. But do you believe, and this is really a simple question. Do you believe that cops kill unarmed black men in America every single day? You said it at Princeton. Her answer, well, I said it in my role as an advocate. 
So here we have a person with multiple personalities, I guess, which is I always thought was a definition for a mental form, some form of, form of mental illness, multiple personalities. So she's got the role as an advocate. When is which one is the one who tells the truth? If you have multiple roles, which is the truthful role? So now Jason Riley has made his point. And he steps in and he says, Jason Riley says this. There is no evidence that police officers kill unarmed black men daily. And then Jason Riley comes up with his statistics. I'm going to hurry through this. Black deaths at the hands of police are statistically rare. And those involving unarmed suspects are rare still. Okay. Meanwhile, black homicides not involving involving police numbered more than 7,700 in 2019 and more than 9,900 in 2020 and are expected to surpass 10,000 in 2021. That's blacks killing blacks. And here we got this person that Biden's put up for some position as a judge. Huh? Can't answer a dead gum question, honestly. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.